Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. I really do believe that God has brought some of you here today to welcome you home. Even those of you who walked into Apopka or Lake County with both feet on the brakes when it comes to God or faith or the church. So let's just talk about that. Some of you are here right now out of obligation. And I get that. I watch Hallmark movies with my wife. (laughs) Hey, honey, let's watch The Notebook, said no guy ever. Some of you are here because uh, somebody invited, somebody cute invited you. And maybe you're sitting by them right now and you're thinking, I like church today. Some of you are here because you made a trade-off. You knew if you didn't show up to church today with your spouse or your mother or significant other, you're going to hear about it all next week. So you thought one hour church or one week of whining, I'll take the one hour deal. And that's why you're here. And by the way, I think you made a good trade-off. Full disclosure, I don't think you're here accidentally or incidentally. I think there's something about the story of Jesus that draws people to it, even though they can't explain why. And it has been this way since Jesus first showed up in history. Here's what we know. No one disputes if Jesus was a real person who changed our world. No credible historian has ever debated that Jesus was a real person who lived or that he changed our world. I mean, think about it like this. Why is this Easter Sunday 2022? Why does the whole world keep track of time based on a system of B.C. and A.D.? Do you know what that stands for? Before Christ and Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. The whole world keeps track of time based on the birth of one single person, Jesus. He literally changed how we mark time. That's how much he changed our world forever. That's indisputable. The only thing open for question today is this. Can Jesus change your world? And many of us at Journey believe with everything inside of us, not only that he can, but that he's been dying to. He's just been waiting for you to come home. Now, here's what we want to talk about this Easter. If that's true, that Jesus wants to change your world and welcome you back home, why is it that so many hesitate and hold off trusting Jesus as their Savior? Why is that? We're going to talk about one big reason today, but before we talk about it, I'm going to show you a picture that some researchers have used to describe a uniquely human phenomenon. Now, when you see this picture, you got one job, all right? You just have one job. Find the toothbrush in, the, in this messy bathroom picture. You ready? Here you go. Take a look. You see it? All right, all right. Come on now. How many of you saw that toothbrush right there? No, nobody? I mean, some of you did? All right, now you're, it, you're in church. It's Easter. Tell the truth now. How many of you saw that huge, ginormous toothbrush right there? How many of you saw that? Huh? Now you see it, right? Let me ask you a question. Why is it that we miss something so big and so obvious? Researchers have been studying this in depth for about 30 years or so, and they describe this universal human tendency to miss obvious things as this, inattentional blindness. 
the surprising failure to notice something so obvious. I mean, something that's right in front of you. And there's a couple of reasons they've proposed for why this happens. Number one, it's bigger than our expectations. The reason so many of us on first glance miss that huge toothbrush is because it's just way bigger than you've ever imagined a toothbrush being. But secondly, our attention becomes focused on something else. And so many of us, you locked in on that normal-sized toothbrush and you stopped looking because you were convinced that you'd found it. And I want to suggest to you today that many of us have inattentional blindness when it comes to Jesus for the same two reasons. Number one, who he was and what he did was way bigger than what anyone could have imagined. And number two, so many around Jesus were focusing on the wrong things. In fact, I think we can make the case that every single original follower of Jesus had inattentional blindness. Let me show you what I mean. Skeptics of the Bible think these early followers of Jesus just got together and made up stories about him. But what I'm about to show you, I believe, is incredibly compelling evidence that what they wrote was true because every one of them initially portrays themselves as completely blind to what was happening right in front of them. And people don't tend to make up stories that make themselves look like a stooge. But just watch how the disciples were completely blind to how big what Jesus was doing and how they focused on the wrong thing. We're just gonna look at a, a, about three passages right now. They're all from the same book, Gospel of Matthew, the first New Testament book. Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That seems pretty clear to me, right? Next chapter, chapter 17. After they gathered again in Galilee, Jesus told them the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Again, that seems pretty clear. And one more. Matthew chapter 20, the last week of Jesus' life, he and his core group of followers are headed up to the city of Jerusalem. And one more time, Jesus tells them in the clearest possible terms, I love this, he says, listen, he's like a teacher talking to some unruly classroom. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked flogged with a whip and crucified, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Now think about those three passages and ask yourself this question. Could it be any more obvious what was going to happen to Jesus? But here's the thing. After Jesus was killed and laid in a tomb on Friday, do you know how many of Jesus' followers were expecting him to rise from the dead? That would be zero, zilch, nada, goose egg. I mean, in other words, not one single follower of Jesus was standing outside his tomb early Sunday morning going, hey guys, hey guys, come on, let's count it down together. 10, 9, 8. Nobody did that. Instead, you know where they were? They were holed up in an upstairs hideaway hoping they wouldn't be the next ones to be nailed to a Roman cross. In fact, even when some of the female followers of Jesus went to the tomb early on Sunday, and not because they thought he was going to rise from the dead, but because Jesus' body was taken down from the cross so hurriedly and wrapped up so hastily by a couple of guys, they thought the men didn't do it right, and they went on Sunday the day after the Sabbath to do it properly. And that sounds about right, doesn't it? 
But when they saw the empty tomb, they ran back to tell the disciples who were in hiding that Jesus's body was missing from his grave. And not one of them said, well, of course he isn't there, silly Mary. Did not our Lord tell us that he had to suffer and die and be raised again? Duh. No, even after eyewitness testimony to an empty tomb, they still didn't believe. And later when Jesus does appear to them back from the dead, they think he's a ghost, even though he's standing right there in front of them. Why did they miss it? For the same two reasons it's happening to some of us right now. Number one, God's unconditional love is so big, it goes way beyond our wildest expectations. I mean, almost every kind of love you and I experience in this life is conditional. It comes with conditions. When we give love, we expect to receive love back. When we withhold love, we know that relationship is in trouble. This happens in friendships. It happens in your family, even in marriages. Can you think of someone you used to be friends with or some family member you used to be close to or someone you used to be married to? What happened? Most likely it was because someone probably crossed a line that shouldn't have been crossed too many times and the relationship ended. Do you know who has a good understanding of what conditional love looks like? It's all you cat lovers out there. (laughs) Let me show you this great picture I saw. I'm not saying your cat doesn't care about you. I'm just saying if Lassie was a cat, Timmy would still be trapped. (laughs) And for those of you who don't know who Lassie is, you need to Google that and educate yourself. Now, we laugh, but all of us know that the love we so often experience in our relationships is conditional. That's why it's so hard to imagine a God who has absolutely unconditional love for you. But can I tell you, it's even bigger and better than that. God's love is so big. God doesn't just love you unconditionally. He loves you counterconditionally in spite of your conditions. That's what Paul tried to convey to the early followers of Jesus in Rome when he wrote this, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But look at this. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Listen to me. No matter what you done or who you are, God's not mad at you. He's mad about you and he wants you to come home. And for some of us today, that's so big and that's so beyond our wildest expectations and past experiences that you've missed it. Here's a second reason we miss it. Our attention gets focused on everything else but God. Researchers of inattentional blindness tell us that our field of focus is actually pretty narrow. And what they mean is that what we're able to really have laser-like focus on is only about the width of our thumb. Meaning the further that we get away from that small zone, the more things become unclear and out of focus. Now there's things maybe going on over here and going on over here, but I'm really not able to pay attention to them. And many of us have relegated God to the periphery of our overly scheduled, severely stressed out lives. And what are we focusing on instead? Making more money? So we pour our lives into our jobs and careers thinking that's going to satisfy us. For some of us, we focus on pleasure. We're seeking the next adventure, the next trip, the next cruise, the next sexual hookup, the next high. 
Some of us pour our life into a hobby or a sport, or we think that our team's success will satisfy us, at least until the season's over. But that's the point. The season with all these things eventually comes to an end. It doesn't last. That's why I love the honesty of this Bible verse, which says this about Moses. Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The writer is very clear about two things here. Number one, there is pleasure in sin. And if you didn't find any pleasure in sin, it's probably because you were doing it wrong. Number two, but sin's pleasure only lasts for a season. Money runs out. Fickle friends go away. Trip comes to an end. Ecstasy of the high begins to wane. The pleasure fades. And we wonder why we're empty inside. Listen, you're empty inside because you've put God to the side. And then in the midst of this, a global pandemic hits. And what the pandemic did was expose all the false hopes we put in things that cannot satisfy us, save us, or secure us. And that's why many of you are here today. You're realizing that you're missing something in life, and what you're missing is you're missing God, and you need for him to move from the periphery of your life to right in the center and begin to build your life on something more permanent, something more lasting, something you can fully trust in and count on. And I believe that's why God has so many of you here today to finally and fully welcome you home to finally go all in on following Jesus. Now to do that, I want us to look at this door for just a moment. You know, Jesus once described himself as a door through which people can come to God. He put it like this. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Again, that's pretty clear, right? But right after he said that, he also warned people about trying to go through other doors to get to God. What are some of the other doors? Well, for example, there's the wrong door. You ever walk through the wrong door? My wife and I like to go to Cracker Barrel for breakfast, and we have for years. And most Cracker Barrels are set up the same way. You walk into a gift shop area, and right in the back of that area are the bathrooms. And the bathrooms at almost every Cracker Barrel I've ever been to has the men's bathroom on the right, women's bathroom on the left. Almost all of them, but apparently not quite all of them. (laughs) And not long ago, I was at a Cracker Barrel and I was using the facilities and over my shoulder, I saw a woman walk right behind me. Now listen, one of us went through the wrong door. (laughs) Not saying which one, but one of us did. Some of you gone through the wrong door. What's the wrong door? The wrong door is trying to find fulfillment in anything or anyone outside of Jesus. That's the wrong door. In the words of the great country theologian, you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. I read about a team of bird researchers that placed 100 wooden decoys on the Aizu Islands of Japan trying to attract endangered albatrosses and encourage them to breed. However, for more than two years, an albatross, the researchers named Deco, tried to woo a wooden decoy by building fancy nests and fighting off rival suitors. He spent his day faithfully by the side of a fake bird. Deco was duped by a decoy. And yet how many of us are drawn to a decoy of desire? or allured by an illusion of fulfillment, or blinded by the bait of empty promises of permanence in a world that's passing away. That's what a follower of Jesus named John tried to 
help his readers understand. John wrote this. He said, do not love the world or anything in the world. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires, what? They pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Listen, anything less than a relationship with the resurrected Lord will always let you down. Here's another door that won't lead us home. And that's the locked door. What's the locked door? The locked door is thinking that the key to being good with God is my good works. That the key to being good with God is my good works. And some of us believe that to be a good Christian is just trying to be a good person. That's all we need to do. Just try and make sure you do more good things than bad things. I mean, if you ask most people why they think they're going to live forever in heaven, they say things like this. I've always tried to. I never, I do my best to. In other words, most people's answers are based on their attempt to live a good life. Why? Because most people believe that good people go to heaven. But here's an important question. How good is good enough? And how would you ever know if you're good enough? And since none of us are perfect, what's the acceptable good to bad ratio? I mean, is it like 80-20? Is it 70-30? Is it like 51-49? And are you really keeping track of this? I like to illustrate it like this. Let's say that you got so good that you only sinned three times a day. I mean, in the words that you say, the thoughts that you think, the deeds that you do, only three sins a day. For some of you, that would be like a huge upgrade. <laughs> I mean, you would be like unrecognizable to the people that know you best. But do you realize three sins a day adds up to 1,095 sins in a year? Run those numbers out for 20 years, 40 years, 60 years. Can you imagine standing in front of a judge with nearly 1,100 unpaid traffic violations trying to convince them that you're a good driver? <laughs> Listen to me. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Your goodness is not the key to being good with God. And the good news is it doesn't need to be because Jesus came and took the blame for everything you've ever done wrong and he gives you the credit for everything he ever did right. Paul put it like this. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not reckoning to them their trespasses. Jesus reconciles us to God so our sins aren't reckoned against us. That is good news. But there's one more door that keeps people away from God. It's probably the biggest barrier to some of you coming home today. And that's the slam door. The slam door represents thinking God is ashamed of you and won't accept you because of your past. So many of us are here today and we have so much guilt and so much pain and shame about things in our past because of the things we've done that, that, that we've done or things that have been done to us. Things we said we would never do again, but we did it again. Things we've never told anyone about. And we walk around trying to push that guilt down, but it's like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. Eventually, it pops up to the surface again. And because of all the things we've done wrong, there are some of you who really believe this. Because of what you've done wrong in the past, you're afraid that if you tried to come home to God, that God would open the door and he would look at you with anger and disgust and slam it in your face. This is one of the greatest lies you could ever believe from Satan. 
He wants you to believe your shame should keep you from God. But as we've seen in the prodigal series, we studied the past few weeks based on Jesus' most famous story ever about a father and two sons. We have a God who will not only not slam the door in your face and not only welcome you back home, but he runs to reconcile with us and is fast to forgive us. There is no slam door with God. There's only an open door that he invites you to walk through and open arms that he invites you to walk to. I love this quote by Tim Keller. Keller said, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. And I'm here to tell you, today it's time for some of you to come home to the love of God. How do you come home? Just a few weeks after the very first Easter, a large crowd of people were gathered together in the Jewish temple at Jerusalem. Out, an outspoken leader among Jesus' original followers named Peter, he stood up and he boldly told them what he had witnessed, that Jesus suffered, that he died on a Roman cross for their sins. And then he told them that same Jesus was raised to life because he said it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. That's one of my favorite verses about the resurrection. Another translation of that says, death was no match for him. And the people were convicted by his words and they asked him and the other apostles, what should we do? And Peter said it so clearly. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Could anything be simpler or more straightforward? But just in case it's not, let me be clear. God invites anyone who wants to be forgiven and come home to him to believe in Jesus because he's the door. He's the only one that can solve your sin problem. Repent of your sins. And repent doesn't just mean feel bad about what you've done. It means start following from wherever you are and be baptized. I think that's about as simple and clear as it gets. And you know what the crazy thing about that is? People actually did it. In fact, a lot of people did. Right after Peter tells them this, we read these words. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were, were added to their number that day. I want you to notice they began their commitment to follow Jesus with immediate obedience that day. They didn't say, well, I'll do the baptism thing someday when I get around to it. They didn't say, I'll schedule it when it's more convenient. They said, I can't wait. I have to start now. I want to come home right now. Listen, friends, nowhere in the Bible does it ever say tomorrow is the day of salvation. And so today, right now, at both campuses, we're going to give you the chance to do this Easter what they did back then. Make a commitment to follow Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and then immediately get baptized. And some of you are thinking, you mean I could sign up for baptism today? No, I mean you can be baptized today. For some of you, your heart's beating fast right now. This whole thing about the wrong door and the locked door and the slam door, you've experienced all of it. And the thought that there's an open door where there's a forgiving father who will run to welcome you is exactly what you needed to hear today. You're ready to come home. But here's also what's going on inside you right now. There's a little resistor that's starting to generate dozens of excuses why you can't and you shouldn't do this right now. Like this, but pastor, I haven't gone through a baptism class yet. Friends, this message was your baptism class. 
All you need to know is that Jesus is the only one who can solve your sin problem and promise you eternal life because he rose from the dead and you're committing to follow him from this day forward. If that's your understanding, then we welcome you. Some of you say, oh, I wasn't planning on doing this. You know those 3,000 people we just talked about that got baptized after hearing Peter? Not one of them woke up planning on being baptized in the name of Jesus that day. But God had other plans, and I think God has some other plans for some of you. I didn't bring a change of clothes. Well, we have shirts and shorts and plenty of towels. In a moment, you're going to see two baptizers here in Apopka. And Pastor Russell in Lake County is the equivalent of two baptizers. <laughs> so I promise you, you're going to be in good hands. And if you're afraid of water, listen, I've been doing this for over 40 years. I've never seen anyone drown in a baptismal pool. <laughs> With every barrel in the name of Jesus, there's always a resurrection. I'm afraid the water might mess up my hair or smear my makeup, and this is a holiday. We actually have free Easter makeover kits available at both campuses, so you don't have to worry about that. Listen, listen, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just made that up. I just, I just made that up. But here's a fascinating scientific fact for you to consider. Are you ready? People that get wet eventually dry off 100% of the time. I mean, they just do. But I want my family or small group to see it. We do too. Call them, text them. We'll be live streaming all the baptisms. and They can join us on our Facebook or our Journey YouTube. We're on our website. If you're here by yourself and you want to be baptized, but you're intimidated by all these people, just tap someone next to you and say, I want to be baptized. Will you walk up there with me? Even in our additional seating room here at Apopka, same thing. You, someone will help you get right over here. I'm confident someone will go with you. If you're stuck in a road jam full of people, they'll gladly move out of the way and let you out. And if they don't, you just knock them out of the way in the name of Jesus. But I'm concerned about what others will think. Listen, don't let other people's opinions keep you from doing what God wants you to do. Stop letting what others think about you keep you from receiving God's promises for you. And please know this. Listen, you can tell. This is the family of Jesus here. And anybody who takes this step today, you will experience more love and more support and more joy from the folks in this room or in Lake County than you can imagine. Isn't that right, Apopka? Isn't that right, Lake County? Isn't that right, Lake County? And listen, and for those of you watching online, we have people ready to follow up with you. All you need to do is let us know in the chat or comment section you want to be baptized, and someone will follow up with you today. And some of you are saying, I'm nervous. I'm a little nervous. Can I tell you, me too? I never know what's going to happen when we do this. I never know what's going to happen from one service to the next service or from one campus to another. All I know is this. Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. The baptismal pools are ready indeed. The towels are ready. The baptism helpers are ready. The baptizers are already in the pool here at Apopka. And you, Pastor Russell is right over there by the baptistry in Lake County. Heaven is ready to erupt in celebration. The church is ready to praise. The only thing missing is you. Listen, there could not be a more perfect day than today to do this. Think about it. It's Easter. What's Easter? Easter is the greatest global celebration of Jesus' death, 
burial and resurrection. And baptism is the greatest personal identification with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And today, you can experience both. And it's time for you to come home. So right now, I'm going to ask everyone stand. Stand with me right here. Apopka, Lake County, both campuses, everyone stand. In our online community, I want you to stand as well. And I want us to say together a time-honored statement of faith as a church family. If you're a follower of Jesus, you most likely have already said this at some point. I'm going to ask you to reaffirm it publicly right now. And if you're deciding right now, from this moment forward, you want to be a follower of Jesus, I'm going to ask you to repeat this after me and then be baptized today. So here we go. Repeat after me. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Savior and Lord. And here we go. We're just going to pray and say, Holy Spirit, would you just unleash whatever you want to do in this room right now? And may a lot of people just know they can come home and you're there to welcome them. And we're here to love on them and cheer for them and support them. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. And we all agree and said, amen. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And through Jesus, anything is possible.